I've spoken about my family and them living far away. My mom lives in Mexico. And uh, this Christmas was the very first time she was able to come to Canada. So really exciting for, for our family. She got to come to Canada, got to see the church, got to see the boys, got to see Rebecca again, my wife. Uh, so very fun time for our family. But uh, one of the awkward slash funny conversations that we constantly have with, with my mom is describing my job. Like, what does a young adult pastor do, right? And if you've gone out with me for coffee, you know that a young adult pastor basically just goes for coffee. Uh, I go to Starbucks. Uh, just kidding. I like real coffee, so I go to a Marty. Uh, I go to Good Kid, right? Uh, what else is up there? Uh, I don't even Aurora. Come on. Uh, actually, the reality is I go to coffee shops, and I usually pick Starbucks because I don't, I don't actually drink coffee. I like hot chocolate. But I spend a lot of time with, with young adults. That's what a young adult pastor does. They spend time with young adults. But uh, as we spend time together, the, the conversation inevitably flows into kind of three big buckets. There's three things we tend to talk about. Uh, we talk about faith, right, hugely important thing. We talk about vocation, and then we talk about relationships. Those three topics are front and center for most of my conversations with young adult people. And I want to focus specifically tonight on that third one, on relationships. And even more than that, on romantic relationships. Tonight, we're going to talk about DTR. It's part of the DTR series, Define the Relationship, uh, where we're going to discuss dating relationships. And for tonight, I have a very modest goal. We're going to jump into Scripture. We're going to look at one simple proverb, and then we're going to apply it to dating relationships. I want to answer this simple question, should I date right now? If you are not in a dating relationship, if you're single, but you don't want to be, I think you need to ask yourself this question. Not like, do I want to date, but it's, should I be dating right now? And the answer to that question is, you're ready to date if your heart is in the right place, right? So my big idea for tonight is get your heart right. So turn to your neighbor and say, get your heart right. All right, two points, keep your heart and live your life. So the first point, keep your heart. This comes to us from Proverbs 4, verse 23, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, now, Proverbs are an interesting genre, right? They're, they're in the scripture, so we know they're important. It is literally the word of God. And at the same time, they're not what we would call an absolute truth. So Proverbs are statements that are general truth or experiential truth. It is things that the author of the Proverbs, there was several, observed and said, this is most often true. This is the way that God has designed the world. This is the order that we see in our world. So they're general truth statements. I'll, I'll give you a few of my favorites. Proverbs 10, 19, one of my favorites. Uh, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent, right? So this is a very simple proverb. If, if you talk a lot, inevi inevitably you will say something dumb. And maybe not just dumb, but actually rude that you then have to go and take back. It is a prudent or it is a wise thing to restrain your tongue, to, to maybe say a little bit less, right? That's, that's a general truth. That doesn't mean stop talking, it doesn't mean that if you talk a lot, you will, will always say something dumb. I, I'll speak for the next 30, 35 minutes, and I don't plan on saying anything dumb. So simply because you have many words does not mean that you will transgress. 
But it is a general truth. We understand the observed wisdom. What about another proverb in the opposite direction? Proverbs 25:11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So what we're saying is if you give someone an encouraging word, if you give someone the right word at the right time, it is as valuable as gold surrounded by silver. It is treasure upon treasure. So Proverbs tells us, don't say too much or you'll say something dumb and sinful. And also, make sure you say the right thing because the right word is a valuable thing. These are general truths. They're meant to be interpreted in that way. Proverbs is a guidebook for life. So in that sense, then, there is no better genre of Scripture to turn to as we seek wisdom for life, as we seek wisdom in regards to dating relationships. So the way I want to do this is I want to exegete the verse. I want to break it in half, and then I want to take a principle from each half of the verse and then apply those to dating relationships. So the verse easily breaks down the middle. Keep your heart. That's the first half of the verse. That's the command. And then we're giving the purpose of the command. The purpose is the heart is directing your life, right? So keep your heart because the heart directs your life. There's an outcome. So the first principle that we need to understand from this proverb is that your direction matters. So I'm gonna turn to my little whiteboard here and show you what I mean. So when I say your direction matters, what I have in mind is that all of us is a person, this is you, a happy person, and all of us can go in different directions. All of us have that ability. And what I'm trying to say is this Proverbs reminds us that the direction you're going matters. You must keep your heart because the direction you're going matters. And when we say direction, I think there's kind of two components to, to understanding this word. The first is direction involves a certain level of planning. Like if you're going to get somewhere, you need a plan to get to where you're going, right? You, you need to accomplish certain things to work you towards that ultimate, the ultimate goal. Uh, for example, if you were going to hike the Juan de Fuca Trail, I myself would never go because I despise hiking. But if you were going to do that, that's not something you just decide to do tonight, right? It would, it's, it's multiple days long. It's kilometers long. You, you would need multiple, like you need equipment, you need the right people to come along, right? It, it's not just something you happen to do. You make a plan to go in the direction that you want to go. But even more than that, what helps us actually make the plan and then accomplish the plan is our affections. Humans are desiring creatures and our desires which flow from our little heart. So I'll give our little character a heart. We have a little heart, and this little heart gives us the motivation to flow in the direction that we want to go. To hike the Juan de Fuca Trail, what you first need is the desire to hike, right? When we want to go somewhere, we need a desire to go in that direction and then a plan to actually get us there. So understanding this, we see that direction must include both of these components, right? A plan and the affection to carry out that plan. If that is true, then I want to give you kind of the pieces that are required to make a plan and the right affection. So for the plan, I, I preached on this last year. You might not remember, but I talked about what I call the dating readiness triangle, right? Where at the top, I talked about values. And on the side, I talked about character, character, and then the other one was uh, activities. Activities. I mean, I sell, sometimes I sound it out. 
So there, there are three things that are part of a, a plan for dating. And this plan, I'm going to put right here. Uh, I preached about this last year, and what I was trying to, to argue then, and the same thing I'm arguing tonight, is that you need to know yourself as you're carrying out this plan. You need to plan for who you are, or I guess understanding, self-awareness of who you are, so that you know your abilities to carry out the plan, to go in a particular direction. And this includes well, values, character, and activities. When we talk about values, what, what I have in mind are ideas that drive your behavior. So I'm talking things like faith, adventure, hospitality, family, self-improvement. There are all kinds of things that drive us in a certain direction, right? If you're really committed to a, a physically active lifestyle, then you probably work out, you probably play sports. Uh, if you're committed to self-improvement, uh, you might have a very particular uh, spiritual disciplines habit, right? All of our values directly lead into our activities, but you need to have the value first. So you need to know what it is that you value. Character is a little bit easier. Values tend to be somewhat subjective as each of us values different things and, and that directs our behavior. But character is kind of universal. When, when Christians speak of character, it must be informed by our understanding of God's word. So Galatians 5, and 23, right? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There are things that every Christian must show. And what I'm trying to get at in, in this part of character is not that some are more important than others, but that all of us prioritize them differently, right? There might be someone here who's saying the most important character piece that I need to see is honesty. And someone else will say, no, 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 I need to see kindness. And obviously they're both important, but each one of us would say, no, no, no. these are the two or three that... I most care about, or I most need to see, both in myself and in someone that I want to be with, right? You need to know who you are, not who you want to be, but who you actually are, which means you know what you value, and you know the character pieces that are important to you that are forming what you actually are. Third, you need to know the hobbies or the activities that are significant to you. Uh, all of us do certain things to unwind, to, to decompress, right? All of us have key relationships. All of us have particular spiritual rhythms that are part of our life. And that's a component to who you are. You need to know who you are. That's a mental thing. And that's part of this planning for going in a particular direction. The way that you think will drive you somewhere. But even more than that, what you feel will drive you somewhere. So when we talk about the affections, though, there, there's a very important distinction that I need to make. Uh, there are two kinds of affections that, that we experience. We experience what I'm going to call deep desires, and we experience what I'm going to call strong desires. Both of these are just a part of the human condition. Uh, an example of a deep desire for, for my own life is I, I'm a married man, so I have the deep desire to be a faithful husband. And we also have children, so I have the deep desire to be a strong and emotionally available and providing dad for my boys and, and my wife. Uh, and then I also have the deep desire to, to be a, uh, a pastor with, with longevity, with resiliency. I, I hope to work here many, many years. I hope to be in ministry uh, until, I, until I die or until I retire. 
So I have these really deep desires, these good and godly things that are deeply important to me that come out of my heart and drive me in certain directions, right? There's, I'll go one way and not another because of these deep desires. But at the same time, I have strong desires. I have the strong desire for comfort. I have the strong desire for safety. I have the strong desire for convenience. And that strong desire collides with my strong desire to be an emotionally available dad, right? And, and what do we call that? We call that the human condition. And this is at, alive and well in all of our hearts. So often I interact with young adults, and as they're warring within themselves, like not knowing where to go, they'll, they'll use that phrase, I, I, I don't know what I want. I, I don't know what the career I want. Or I don't know what I'm looking for in a spouse, and as I've reflected on this, I, I don't think they mean I do not cognitively know what I want. I think most people could identify character they value or values that are really important to them. I think what they mean is I have desires at war within me and I do not know which direction to go because I can't choose. Today I want to go this way, but tomorrow I want to go this way, and two weeks ago I wanted to go this way, and I feel so conflicted. So... If the human condition is this inner turmoil, what would help us? And the answer is quite simple, actually. The answer is the strongest affection. If you have deep affections that are driving you somewhere, deep desires, and they're in conflict with strong desires, what you need is the strongest desire. And Scripture actually gives us what the strongest desire is. Uh, it comes from the greatest commandment. It's listed in all the Gospels, but uh, the version, my favorite version, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love the Lord your God. So if you have a main desire, a, what we call a prime directive, your biggest desire, your strongest desire, and the deepest desire, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that pushes you in a totally different direction. What would help you gain this desire? I think you can only truly have this desire, this, this affection for God, if you know what he has done for you. One of my favorite verses for communicating this truth comes to us from 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. What we believe as Christians is that I was something else. I was broken. I had this warring desires within me. I am battling sin all of the time, dead in my sin, deserving of God's wrath. And what God has done is in a moment, he offered me the forgiveness of sins. And by faith, we receive it. And what God does is he totally transforms us. And the way that he transforms us is by giving us a brand new desire, a new desire that helps us choose the right direction. I want to go this way. And the reason I want to go this way is because I'm compelled by my love for God to go in this direction because I know it to be the right way to go. I know what I want in life, maybe for the first time. So, Christianity is the greatest and deepest and strongest desire because it begins with a love of God. So earlier I told you this first point was keep your heart. So I want to present you with a challenging, or I hope it's a challenging reflection question. What is your direction? 
Like, where are you going in life? And even more particularly, where are you going in regards to the Christian faith? A genuine Christian faith, when we look at Scripture, is something built on the rock, right? That comes from the the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says a a faith, someone who follows him, is sturdy. They're built on a rock in comparison to those who are built on sinking sand. A Christian life is a life spent following God. It is a life going in a particular direction because your love for God and your self-awareness compel you to go in a particular direction that you know is the right way to go. I think scripture wants to capture this kind of image of of moving in a direction as part of Christian life. Uh, Listen to this language from Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So go somewhere. And how does the metaphor of walking get described? Uh, Live a life fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know God better, you have a deeper affection for him, and then you go in a direction. You walk somewhere. Christian life is doing something. So in the context of dating relationships then, we must admit that before we are ready to date, we need to know which direction we are going. Keep your heart. As you keep your heart then, it must be, it's time to live your life. Which brings us to our second point. I'll read the Proverbs one more time. I guess it's rather short. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And again, this principle is the same, or, or my, my methodology is the same. I want to draw principle from this proverb. So I already did the first, the first half. Keep your heart. So we talked about keeping your heart. And now in the second one, it's for the heart directs your life. So the principle here is that your target matters. The target you are aimed at matters. So uh, in the context of dating relationships then, I want to talk about the way that we often experience targets. So this is my first target. If you look, there's a tiny bullseye. And this is my second target. There's a much larger bullseye. When I say target... Uh, I want to capture kind of the image from Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart directs your life, but it doesn't just direct your life. It directs your life because from it flow flow, the springs of life. In the desert context, water was life. And the argument is not just that the heart leads you to life. It leads you to a spring. It leads you to the good life or to the abundant life. So if we're going to apply this to the the context of dating relationships, this principle, then what I think the author is getting at is your heart informs your your type. And I, I recognize that we use this language in dating relationships, right? Do you have a type or what's your type? And we often use it in profoundly shallow ways, right, if we're honest. Right, we'll say things like, I want someone tall, or I want someone short, or I'm looking for a blonde, or, or a brunette, or Caucasian, Latino, you know, brown, like whatever language you want to use, right? It's appearance-focused, or sometimes it's activity-focused, like uh, I want an athlete, I, I want a gamer, I want someone outdoorsy, I want someone smart, I want a bookworm, right? There are things that we value, and we want that kind of thing. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with having a preference, right? But these preferences, I think, are, are somewhat shallow. They're, they're not the most important thing. So these make very poor targets. What I have in mind when I say your target matters is a type, but I want to redefine what we mean by type. I'm talking about non-negotiables. Your type is the, the three to five non-negotiable things that make a person who they are. You, you are looking for a particular kind of person. So how do we get this wrong? If we need to have a type, I think we either make our type way too specific or not specific enough, right? We fall on two extremes. The first extreme is that we make a tiny target with a tiny bullseye and massively, massively restrict the amount of people we would potentially date with by making a list of non-negotiables that is a mile long. And this isn't a bad thing necessarily, right? But it does restrict us like crazy. So well-meaning people will say, well, I'm looking for someone smart, funny, has a career, right? No significant debt, right? Uh, they need to have gone to a Christian school, Christian home. They need to own an ESV study Bible, and the list goes on. And as I hear those things, I'm like, well, so those things sound pretty good. But if all of those are weighted the same, all of those are non-negotiables, your bullseye is tiny, there's not that many people who would meet that criteria. We end up doing kind of two things. Uh, we make it really hard to find the, a person because no one meets those criteria. Or worse, I think, we find someone that's actually quality and we reject them for something that upon further reflection is somewhat insignificant or important, but not of the utmost importance. I had a, a recent experience with a friend young adult guy, very godly young man uh, who finished school and is kind of in that life season where he's like, I, I'd, I'd like to find a spouse, Freddie. I'm looking for my wife. And I was like, well, are you like, I, I know lots of young women at North. You come like, you want me to set you up? And he was like, honestly, like, if you know a girl, I, I'm down. So I was like, well, what are you looking for? He's like, well, I need a, like a committed Christian. Like I want someone who like loves the Lord, serves in the church, uh, wants a family, like just uh, like, that is, is fun. Like, I'm, I'm looking for someone I can spend a life with. And I was like, okay, I, I can meet that criteria. And I introduced him to, to a friend. They went on a couple dates. And then I think after the third or fourth date, he, he ended up breaking things off. And I asked him, I'm like, dude, like, this, this girl is, like, quality. Like, she's, she's amazing. She's a godly young woman. She will make a wonderful wife. What, what's, what's going on? And he told me, he's like, well, I, I just didn't find that we were having intellectual enough conversation. So it, my friend's list included everything he told me and also apparently like a PhD. Like he wanted a certain level of intellectual stimulation in their conversations. And my, like, my friend's not an idiot and neither was the girl, but it is interesting. I mean, if, if that's his criteria, this target is tiny. He's looking for a young adult woman that wants kids, serves in the church, super godly PhD. I, that's a much smaller pool. How many PhDs in this room? None. That's what I thought. I don't have a PhD, right? Like, that's a small group of people. His target is tiny. We make our non-negotiable list far too long. But the flip side is also true. We sometimes make it far too short. And we, we end up having basically no criteria for who we're looking for. So then the target is 
a mile wide, and basically anyone is an option, which is two things. Again, it's either wildly overwhelming or it sets us up for failure in that we start dating someone that's a terrible fit, but we, we don't know to break it off because we have no criteria for assessing them as a potential like, fit. So again, I, I had a recent conversation with a young adult friend, uh, a young woman who started dating a guy, and, and I asked, okay, like, what, what, what do you like about him? Like, well, what's the reason you started dating? And she's like, well, like, he, he was like, so respectful, like, when I first talked to him, and he's, like, so sweet, and, like, my parents really like him because he, like, talks to me really nice and was, like, really kind when he spoke to them. And I was, like, kind of reflecting as she's speaking, and I'm, like, kind, respectful, like, liked by my parents because he presents well. I'm, like, you said the same thing three different ways. Like, Apparently, the guy's nice. Like, that's what you like about him. And then I started to think, okay, well, like, let's talk about direction. Like, uh, what's this guy's like, commitment to the Christian faith? Like, what, what does he believe? And she kind of dodged the question. We circled back to it. And then she was like, well, he's not actually a Christian yet, but he's open to it. And I, I remember asking, like, what, well, what's next? Right? And what happened? Well, what happened is that her target was too big. The only criteria was a nice guy. There is so many nice guys, but is that what you're actually looking for? A nice guy? Wouldn't we not want someone going in the right direction? If our target is way too big, we end up with a bad fit. If our target is way too small, we reject good opportunities. We need a target that, in the words of Goldilocks, is just right. So we're looking for someone that is not too hot, not too cold, uh, but just right. Just right to me means three to five non, that's a G and an E, non-negotiables. Three to five non-negotiables. Why, why this number? I promise you it's not arbitrary. It's not just random or made up. Three to five is what I think is required to make a wise decision as to who it is that you are looking for. You cannot have less than three because you need to have something about at least three things. And you shouldn't have more than five or you start artificially restricting the list of candidates and you end up rejecting good people. So every one of you must include something about faith. What does faith mean to you? How would you define it? What are you looking for in a Christian? Not just the word Christian, but what does Christian mean to you? Uh, church involvement, service, giving, right? Spiritual disciplines. There are so many aspects to what a Christian is. Simply because someone says, I believe in God, does not necessarily make them a flourishing Christian. You need to ask the question, okay, what does faith mean to me? And then, therefore, what am I looking for in terms of faith in another person? Faith is a necessary non-negotiable. Secondly, you need to talk about relationships in some way. There needs to be a non-negotiable in some way connected to relationships. All of us are social creatures. God's design for humanity is that we would be social creatures. We would be connected to other people. So all of us need something as a non-negotiable in the way that we relate. Uh, do you want someone extroverted, introverted, hospitable, uh, that is into really intro introspective and deep conversations? You need to know what you're looking for. You can't have it all. What you need to boil it down to what's, what's the one way or the most important way that this person needs to be in terms of social relationships. 
What am I looking for? This is a non-negotiable. Faith, relationships, and third, what I call just a wild card. Every single one of us is a unique creature made by God. And because of that, we all value different things in different ways. You need to know yourself well enough to know what you value. And there needs to be something on your non-negotiable list that is unique to you. All of you should have something about faith and something about relationships, but you need at least one thing that's unique to you. And on top of that, you can include two more things. So you can have as many as three wild cards. But once you go over that threshold, and now you're at six things, seven things, eight things, my question is, what is the role of those extra things? They're, they're shrinking the target. And you may think to yourself, well, I want to shrink the target. I don't want everyone to be available. I agree. But I think that with three to five non-negotiables, you have enough of a criterion or criteria that you could find the right kind of person. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, uh, so that kind of there's two people in this room, right? The, the person who made the list with their parents and they have, you know, 25 things that are non-negotiable, and you're thinking to yourself, how on earth am I going to cut it down? Well, you go through the list and you start thinking, well, what are the things that are automatic deal breakers? The, those are the things that I'm like, those are non-negotiable. That's what it means, right? And you're like, well, I, I, how on earth would I decide? Okay, let me break it down for you. Uh, the dude who uh, plays Thor, what's his name? One of the Hemsworth guys, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth walks into the room. He tells you, uh, so I'm going to use the ladies here as an example. Chris Hemsworth walks up, right, his big Thor muscles, and says, I just became a Christian. I've been mad into God's word. I got my ESV study Bible. I'm reading that thing every day. I just started attending Northview. I'm giving. I signed up to serve in children's ministry. Everyone keeps trying to talk to me, but I'm just here for the kids. Uh, like, I just want to take care of them because I'm a super nurturing guy, even though I'm super buff and very sensitive inside. Uh, are you interested in going on a date? And all of you would probably, like, yes. Everyone says yes, obviously, right? All the girls. We love Chris, right? But... The reality, though, is you're like, well, like, you would probably ask a few more questions, right? Like, well, like, do you like puppies, right? That's my non-negotiable. You have to love dogs and hate cats, right? All of us have something more we would ask than just, are you a Christian and do you like spending time with me, right? You need those first two, but you need at least one wild card, maybe two or three, right? So if you would turn away Chris Hemsworth, who was a faithful Christian and wanted to spend time with you, then... The, the things that would be the questions you would ask, those are your non-negotiables. And it needs to be less than five. But there are also some of you here that are like, dog, I ain't never heard of no list. I ain't got no list. I'm overwhelmed. I have made bad decisions in the past. I'm not trying to do that again, but I do not know how to choose. How do I make my list? Well, I'll get a couple comments, and then I'll give you an, an example from my own life. So first... I think you need to prioritize shared values, right? When, when we talked about values, values are ideas that drive your behavior. So if you can prioritize a value, that makes a direct contribution to the activities that you kind of gravitate towards. So if a person values the same thing as you, that is very significant. So I would focus on values over the other things. Secondly, I think you need to list your non-negotiables with positive language. Right, so you could say, not a liar. That's, that's like my number one non-negotiable. Well, I'm like, well, let's, let's put it in the positive, like an honest person or someone with integrity, 
right? We, we're looking for the right kind of person. We don't need negative language. We're not trying to limit people. We're trying to find the right person. So use positive language to help you find the right person. Third, once you make a list, like I, I would I invite, I would identify a few close friends and then invite their input. Like if you've made this list, these are the five things that most matter to you and you show it to your best friend and your best friend is like, huh, I would have never guessed that. Your list probably is not accurate. If you write three things and your friend's like, not blank, you should probably have four things. If you list five things and your friend's like, that seems, I didn't know that was that important to you, then maybe you only need four things, right? The input of people who know you really well will help you keep your list to three to five things so that it's an actual helpful list. The reason that you need this list is because in romantic love, we always face the temptation to blur the lines, to cut the corners. And we think to ourselves, this one will be different. But I, I, I can't help but think that that is a profoundly silly, maybe even stupid move that we make. And a, an illustration might help. Now, if, if you are lactose intolerant, you know you cannot have milk. Uh, it would be profoundly stupid to see buttermilk and say to yourself, well, it's not milk. I know, like, I can't handle, like, milk from the gallon, but, like, buttermilk, it comes in the carton. This one is different. And then you go for it, right? And anyone in the room who, who has, like, lactose intolerance would know, buttermilk going to mess you up, dog. And if after you've had a bad experience with milk and with buttermilk, then you say, okay, if I, I'm done with the milk stuff, but half and half, it doesn't even say milk. It's half and half. Half what? I don't even know. It's worth trying. I want to see how it goes. You're not going to like how it goes. Or after that, you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with those things. Like half and half. The problem was that the half that was cream was what got me. But I'm like, if I go full cream, that ain't no problem. Let's do heavy whipping cream. Because it's not milk. It won't make me sick. Right? But at the end of the day, you, you don't try it out. You, don't, you know how it will go. And so often in dating relationships, I watch people who are otherwise generally intelligent young adults, young adults, and they go into something and they say, well, this one will be different. I know milk was bad, but buttermilk is good. And I got to wonder, why? Why? Well, I'm like, I think a big part of it is we don't have a list. We have no criteria for limiting the people that we pursue, for limiting the people that we continue to date. Three to five non-negotiables will be profoundly helpful for helping you find the right partner. In my own life, this has been profoundly helpful as I reflect on my relationship with my wife, Rebecca. Uh, as I think of like, what are Freddie's non-negotiables? There are three things that come to mind. Uh, the first is ministry. So like when I talk about faith, yes, Christian faith, but more than that, like church ministry. I, I'm a pastor, I served here at this church, and I needed someone who loved the local church, who was willing not only to partner with me in ministry, but also to allow me to free me up so that I could have abnormal hours and serve in God's church with all kinds of people in all kinds of times. And in Rebecca, I found someone who loved the church and was willing to partner with me in community group ministry and sometimes in teaching and meeting with people and in giving me the freedom to go out in the evenings and weekends and all kinds of things. She valued ministry. She's a really good fit. Uh, more than that, 
I value family. And I, I wanted a wife who wanted to have not just a kid, but multiple kids. And kids somewhat close together because I, I, I wanted a, a family, a little family that would grow to a big family. And we would have all of the experience, all the challenges, burdens, and joys of the little years. And in Rebecca, I found someone who was willing to jump into the, to that with me. Third, I needed someone who had a great work ethic, someone who wasn't really into like hanging out or lounging around, because that's not me. I'm not a like sit down kind of guy. And in Rebecca, I found someone who worked multiple jobs when I met her, and then as we've started raising children, she still works on the side and helps me in my ministry. So Rebecca is a great fit for me. And when I look at all of the people that, that I know that are pursuing someone that are, are looking for the right kind of person, I'm like, what you'll find your Rebecca, you'll find the person that is a good fit for you if you know what you are looking for. You need to have your non-negotiables. Before you are ready to date, you need to know what your target is. And if you know what your target is, you might actually hit it. You might actually achieve the target that you're aimed at. Before, I, I want to bring this into kind of an application here uh, to end, but before we get there, I, I'm aware that there's a group of people in this room who hear these things and they're like, okay, you're telling me I need the right direction. Like I need a, a greater affection for God that drives me in the right direction and I need a good target. So three to five non-negotiables that are distinct to who I am, but also include faith and relationships. Uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't use all that language, but I'm like, I, I'm kind of there, Freddie. Like, I, I'm single, but I don't want to be. And I'm going in the right direction, and I know what I'm looking for. What about me? I think those people are in the room. I know those people are in the room. And, and you might be hearing this sermon, and you might be thinking to yourself, that's me. My, my dating journey is a lot of disappointment. It hasn't worked out. What do you have to say to me? Well, I, I have two quick comments. The first is I want to affirm you that your desire for marriage is a good and godly thing. I think in the church, sometimes we, we are so quick to affirm singleness, and we point to that passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that affirms the wonder of singleness and, and the ministry opportunities that come with it, that we don't all adequately acknowledge the disappointment that people feel in being single. And the flip side, the corollary, that it is a good thing to desire marriage. If you desire a spouse, I want to affirm you that that is a good and godly thing. Uh, Proverbs 18.22 reminds us that he who finds a wife that finds a good thing. It is a gift from the Lord. So finding a spouse is a good thing in God's eyes. You are not desiring something wrong. You have a good desire, but secondly, you need to guard your heart. That good desire is a wonderful thing, is a deep desire even. But our deep desires, when they come in conflict with our strong desires, often lead us into temptation, where when we are in a season of waiting, it is so easy to settle it is so easy to choose sin, to jump the gun, to choose a different avenue where we say to ourselves, you know what, I know I had five non-negotiables, but if I drop two, I, I could find someone tomorrow. 
Or we say to ourselves, wow, this person's not going this direction, but they're not going opposite. They're actually going over here. And I bet if I know them long enough, if we, if we date, I might be able to turn them. And we start thinking to ourselves, if I compromise here, if I turn here, if I blur the line here, it'll work out for me this time. And just like a lactose intolerant person drinking buttermilk or half and half or heavy whipping cream, it doesn't work out. You need to start if you have not yet started. And if you have started, you need to keep praying for endurance that you would be able to keep waiting in this season of singleness. It is a good and godly thing to desire marriage. But while you are waiting, brothers, sisters, you need to keep waiting. Do not settle for an unequal yoke. Do not settle. Do not compromise. While you wait, you need to remember you are never alone. Uh, one, of the good, one of the good gifts that God has given us in our seasons of singleness, in our seasons of marriage, is that we have a church. God's church is a family where every single Christian can be part of this family. And in this family, they can find love. They can find relationship. They can find connection. You may want marriage. And it's a good and godly thing. But while you are waiting, you are not alone. You have relationship. You have love. You have family. So wait as long as it takes. You have what you need for today in God's church. Live your life. And one of the ways that we can live our life is to shoot our shot. So if you know the direction you want to go, and you have the target that you're aimed at, I want to challenge you, shoot your shot. Uh, if you're a guy in this room, and you know the type of girl you're looking for, you know your non-negotiables, brother, I just want to challenge you, uh, maybe spend a little bit of time like talking to that girl to confirm, is she in fact actually my type? and not just a pretty face. And while you talk to her, probably in a group setting, somewhere maybe like a live night or a friend hangout with multiple people, uh, finesse an opportunity to move into the one-on-one -on -one stage and ask her, hey, can I take you out? And brothers, you need to be direct. It's not, can we hang out? It's not, we should, we should spend some time together. It's not sliding into DMs. It's one-on-one, face-to-face -on -one, -face conversation saying, I'd like to take you out for coffee. I'd like to try to get to know you a little better. And your intent is to find out this. I think she has my non-negotiables. How on earth will I know if we don't talk? Let's talk. So while you are talking, try to talk about values. Try to talk about the things you want in life, right? Don't just talk about sports. Don't just talk about school. Don't just talk about work. Talk about the things that most matter to you, where you want to go in life, your direction that you're headed. This is your opportunity in shooting your shot, in talking to the girl, in working for a one-on-one, -on -one, in directing conversation. All of that is an opportunity for you to show intentionality and leadership, the kind of things that a man must show in a relationship. And if you are a woman, then and you want to respond to shooting the shot, I, you need to be willing to say yes to a guy who is potentially, hear me, potentially your type. So you will know maybe pretty fast if a guy's not your type, and feel free to say no. But if someone could be your type, I think, girls, you need a posture of openness. Like, you know what? I will go for coffee. 
That doesn't mean I'm getting married. It means I'm open to a conversation. And if that guy has made the effort in trying to talk to you in group settings, in trying to get to know you as much as possible, and now is taking the shot, asking for a one-on-one, asking to go for coffee. I'm like, that's intentionality. That's a guy who maybe knows what he's looking for. Do you know what you're looking for? Does that guy show the things you're looking for? Well, you don't know. You need to talk to him. Say yes to the one-on-one. And as you spend time together, use that time, again, very similar to the advice I gave the fellas, to discuss your values. Discuss the things that you really care about in life. What is your direction? What is your target? This is your opportunity, a date, a one-on-one, is your opportunity to, to show intentionality and to show that you care or that you're open to a dating relationship. Men and women in this room, live your life. Right, tonight we talked about dating, right? Dating relationships, right? And with young adults, this is one of the three things I most consistently talk about. Faith, vocation, dating relationships. My hope is that you see the two things I covered today, the two principles, that you need to be going the right direction and you need to be aimed at the right target. You see the value of these and you see that they come from God's word, from Proverbs 4.23. When you ask the question, should I date right now? The answer is very simple. If my heart is in the right place, as in I'm going in the right direction, I'm aimed at the right target, then yes, I'm free to date. And if you cannot answer those questions in the affirmative, you can't, affirmative, you can't say, yes, I'm, I'm there, then get your heart right. If you get your heart right, yes, you are ready to date. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to preach from your word. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears this message uh, would be challenged, Lord, in, in uh, our, our assumptions as to what dating is or when we should say yes or when we'd say no. Father, I pray that you would give us a, a heart posture of openness to opportunities and possibilities, uh, a clarity for the direction that we're headed, the affection that most matters, and a clarity on our target, on the three to five non-negotiables that help us identify who a potential match would be. Father, I pray for every single person in this room that those who are dating would reassess the relationship and uh, affirm the, the person that they're dating and the value and the uh, harmony that they have in that relationship. For those who are not, Father, I pray that they would uh, take wisdom learned from this uh, and apply it to the person that they are pursuing. Father, I pray that you would help all of us uh, make good decisions. We need your word to guide us. So Father, by your word, guide us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.